When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Adam Gregory, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Let's start way back to, I guess, your your upbringing here in in Canada. You were you were born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. So I, I feel, and I'm probably going to get a little bit of hate from the fan base out west but i feel like your your course was set for country music when you're born out west <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i i can remember clearly as a kid like my parents would have a george Strait or randy travis or vince gill cassette playing in, in the car and my dad would be able to sing to every word and i i just remember being amazed in the back seat listening to him sing to every word i'm like man i want to do that one day so i kind of got my love i think from my dad said he used to sing when he was a kid and and then i would grow up listening to vince gill and just really honing in on that gift that he had and wanting to be that so i just worked hard i had my record deal when i was 13 years old you know which came from a five song demo cd i made and and uh, the rest was history i traveled most of the country and most of the world and Music has done well. So See, so this is what I'm interested to find out, because, you know, when you have young stars that start at, like, say, most times I'm thinking 17 or 18, like, you know, yeah. when you're thinking of your, for, for someone like myself, it comes, pop music comes naturally. So, like, when you got, like, Selena Gomez, Bieber, One Direction, that start, just say 17 to 18 on these, ga- like, shows or brought up by Disney, it just speaks a lot more volume when 13 at a time when these shows aren't around, and again... 13 you sign a a deal to have songs basically you know done have a record deal made how did you get discovered like who came to you at 13 and said you got it we got to have them i was working with a management team at that time and uh they had introduced me to you know certain people and and uh i wound up working with uh this guy that recorded the five song demo with me and, and we Kind of what we had in mind is we were going to send it to like talk shows like Oprah and at that time Ricky Lake, you know, <laughs> that that kind of dates me a little bit. And uh, just to see what kind of feedback we would get and if they would be interested in maybe interviewing me, you know, that was always a, a hope. And then we sent it to record labels, you know, aim for that. And Sony, Mike Rhodes from Sony, the vice president, got a hold of us and said, uh, out of all the thousands of CDs they get like per week or whatever, Mine was on the top of the shelf in the in the drawer. He took, he put it in and listened to it. He's like, man, this kid's really got something we like. And he liked the tone of my voice. And actually, the one song that really caught their ear was a cover I did of Rebecca Lynn by Brian White. Remember that song, Rebecca Lynn? I, I can't remember it, but I mean, if, if someone sent it's me a, an email or yeah. a link to it, I, I it probably refreshed my memory. <laughs> yeah, so it was that song. I guess they heard a tone in my voice, and so they flew my, my mom and dad, myself, down to Toronto, met with them, and they actually presented me with a song called The Ring, which made it onto my first album. But this is how it happened. They presented it to me, and Mike said, okay, I want you to go home, 
to the back to the hotel tonight, learn this song, come back here tomorrow. And we're going to plop, plop you in the studio and you're going to lay it down. It was a test, you know, just how quickly a, of a learner I was. And so I went to the, the hotel. I learned the song front to back, memorized it, went in the studio, nailed it. And I'm sure if they could have offered me a deal right on the spot, they would have. But, you know, obviously you, you got to sign all the, go through all the legal stuff and all that, make it all good. So we did that. And yeah. So I was with them for about six years, the label, and made two albums with them and had countless, you know, top 10 singles or whatever with them. So had a good run. You hear about acts today, like I, I, the ones that come to mind that we've had on, like Ali, Sarah Wicked, even your Tennille Towns, your Hunter Brothers. Like it seems like it, you don't really notice how much hard work goes in, you know, behind the scenes. Um, you just see them one day with a, a song on the radio and you're like, wow, they got some lucky break, their first song ever, and they're already on the radio. And then, you, you know, say it to their face, and you're almost getting ready to get punched out because they'd be looking at you like, no, like, I've spent, like, seven or eight years just trying to get here, like, just trying to get something. Yeah, yeah. like, prior to that record deal, I was, like, you know, 10, 11, 12. I was hitting hitting the circuit. I was going every weekend. I'd go to school during the week. Every weekend, I'd be gigging. We would uh, have this friend of mine, Sailor Rains, had a band called the Haystack Boogie Band, and they would play at a local uh, club slash bar, Wild West Saloon or whatever, in the West End of Edmonton. So I was I was too young to get in the bars, obviously, so my parents kind of applied for this Alberta Liquor Board license, which would allow me to, you know, sit in the car until my time to go on stage, and then they would come and get me, and I would hop on stage and do my little set and then back out to the car. I did that for the longest time, and then that kind of sparked the the idea of making a demo CD that I could sell side stage at these little gigs that I did. And then that led to one thing: it's like, why don't we send this around to different labels and this and that? And that's how it all came to be. No, it's it's interesting because like I remember when I was younger and I was turning on like you know your CMT countdown or just turning yep. on like CMT in general and. I think I really got glued to, you know, you'd see like your Aaron Lines, you'd see your Paul Brands, and you're a kid. So you're just thinking, great, country, like country music, you know, like your parents like it and you, you tune in and like it too. But you don't even really think about it till you get older that, okay, some of these acts that are on are Canadian and they're right up there with like your yeah. Gareth Brooks, your Tim McGraw, because the, the beauty of it is it's a countdown. So number 20 could be Terry Clark. Number 19 could be Adam Gregory, 18 Gareth Brooks. And you don't see it as Canada, U.S. You just see it as country music, which I thought, which exactly. I thought was awesome. Because years later, when you find out someone like yourself is Canadian, I was like, "Well, gee, is like, I grew up listening to No Vacancies, Horseshoes, all these songs." Yeah. And I was like, "Gee, is this kid's like sixteen, maybe eighteen, maybe even 20. And you know, at a, as a young kid, you're looking up and going like, "Wow, like he's old." And then when you get to 20 and you're just they're like, yeah. like, like, no, geez, he's young and he was doing it. But when you tell me you're signed at 13, I'm like, you got to feel at 20. You're like, I'm a veteran. I know this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I technically, I guess I could be considered a veteran in the industry, but I, I still feel young. I still feel like I, I have a lot of the, the goods to offer and it's a different market and, and uh, industry than when I first started out. Definitely. You know, can't deny that it's uh, changed dramatically 
I'm I'm still still kicking along with the other artists out there. Well, right now it's tough. I don't mean that in like a, a negative way. It's just like when I'm looking at it and I'm saying like, oh no, God. when I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, he's he's still going, and it's just weird because yep. when you're looking at the old videos of No Vacancy Horseshoes, like I still listen to those songs. They're timeless, which is you know kudos to you for making those songs great, yep. but. When I think it was like uh, only no I do, and they came up with like a pop version and a country version for that, I was like, mm-hmm. who's this new guy on this on the scene? Like he's got longer hair, he's got a beard, and then I'm like, wait, that's the same guy? I'm like, geez, I yeah. I remember like frosted tips and a, a young face, and now like of course everyone everyone yeah, changes, but I was like, the voice sounded a little bit more deeper, but I know that's one thing that you mentioned prior and i guess that's yeah. what stood out when you're 13 is because you always had this kind of raspy voice yeah the in, the industry has really seen me grow up through the years you know just different you know levels of maturity through each album and uh, i remember when i was a kid uh, you're talking about the raspy voice and all that my mom actually took me to the doctor because she was a little concerned i had a real raspy voice as a kid and i would talk and it sound like really horsey kind of and uh, she had she had it checked and there was nothing wrong with my vocal cords they were actually like perfect shaped and color and everything but they were a little bit bigger than the actual normal vocal cord for a kid my age so they they kind of counted it off as that and uh, just said just keep doing what you're doing singing and all that you're not hurting yourself so I did and as I got older I kind of grew into that kind of rasp and I, I found a way to control it and, you know, add it into inflections and in songs where I felt it was needed. And it's like a, kind of like a Neo Diamond, you know, Neo Diamond has a rasp, right? No, absolutely. I just think it's interesting because like I know for someone like myself, no, I'm not a singer in any shape of, of the form, but I can do different voice ranges. Now, if you, you put me in a room with uh, Adam Levine in Maroon 5, like he hits high notes like it's no tomorrow. Then there's other acts that can hit low notes, and you're like, I guess what comes to mind is like a Sky McGreary that you listen to his voice, and you think it's just nothing but low, low, yeah. low. And I'm like, okay, try mixing two of those together. Maybe it works, maybe it don't. And then there's some that can do both. But I was just interested because you seem to do really well with your vocal range. I know we mentioned this the last time we talked. I think it was like old, you had the song... Um, Dirt Road Therapy was coming out. And I I listened to that and I was like, geez, like the guy still has it. Like it, it's a great voice and you can listen to No Vacancy right up until Dirt Road Therapy yeah. and anything in between. And yeah, you might know a little bit of difference in the vote in in the voice, but it still sounds like Adam Gregory, which I think is a really good compliment to have. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, there, there was a point in my career where I, I couldn't do falsetto at all. I would go for it and be like, ah, ah, like I had no, uh, no falsetto range. And just all of it, one day, it's like just opened up and everything just worked. <laughs> like I know with Shania and a few other ones, like depending on the notes they sing, you'll, you'll see them take, you know, months or almost like a year or so off just to get the, vo- the, the voice back. And, you know, not being yeah. the musical aspect or into it, I used to always laugh at it and go like, yeah, all right, take a year off. Like, geez, like, don't talk to anyone, don't even practice, because you're, you're basically saying your voice is gone. But then when you actually see a little bit of the hard work that goes into it, keeping the voice in that realm, 
you're like, oh man, like they really put a lot of pressure on that voice because in my mind, this is how kind of dumb or, you know, silly I am of thinking is, okay, you're doing a couple of concerts a night. Okay, cool. But I don't realize that, yeah, you're doing a couple of concerts, just say a night or in a week, but it's almost like four or five months of constantly singing every night for three or four hours. It's not like breaks in between. So yeah, it's going to strain your voice. I tell you, brother, it's a real thing that artists are faced with a lot of times. You know, Brian White and Shania Twain, for instance, and my good my good buddy, Thomas Wade, they all went through... Um, well, Thomas had a different situation. He literally lost his speaking voice and his vocal ability for a, for a good long while. And he had to retrain his himself to talk and sing and everything. It's a real scary thing when you, when you have so much invested in your singing and it's like your livelihood. And then something one day just changes and it kind of all goes away. That happens to a lot of artists. It's a very scary thing. Like this could be gone tomorrow. You got to take care of it while you have it and, and know that it's a gift that you just continually have to, to hone in on. We actually had an act on just before Christmas and they were postponing their CD for a while because their lead singer had to get surgery done on his voice. And I just kind of like making the joke to him of saying like, okay, like what happened? And then when he explained it to me, I was like, really? Like just from singing? And then I, then I thought about it more and I'm like, okay, well, if you're constantly doing it, it's not like you're singing one song and they're like, okay, thanks. Thanks for coming out to my concert. See you in another year. You're like, you know, you're doing like maybe I'd say what, 10, 12 songs. You could be doing a concert at five o'clock, then another one at eight, and then maybe a midnight one, depending on what the audience is. And that's one night. And then you're doing one, just say another few nights down the road. So, and you're going city to city town to town then you're doing press conferences and all this and that all affects your voice it's not just singing it's just your voice in general just 20 minutes of yelling can <laughs> actually start the process of vocal nodules i can imagine like so i i play a lot of video games and when i lose i yell scream and you know then the next day someone will be like you were playing video games weren't you and i'm like no why yeah. why'd you ask me that and then they're like because you yeah. got no voice <laughs> You, see, you got the vocal cords like they're like when you're hitting them high notes and whatever, if you're not doing it correctly. They're like smacking together, like really friction and stuff. And then you start getting these calluses built on them. And then all of a sudden your, your voice is like cutting in and out. And I've known so many artists that that unfortunately has happened to. And it, it, it's a scary thing. They got to like Olympic. It's like going to the Olympics. You have to retrain yourself to t like to sing again. I want to also kind of get into this topic with you now, of course, everything's kind of in limbo with COVID. How are you keeping up with, I say, like just country music and the writing process? Like, are you writing new songs? Are you, um, you know, putting out some live streams every now and again? Like what's keeping you going during COVID? I did do some live streams. Yes. I try to separate the work balance thing. So I try to write when I, uh, when I have free downtime from my kiddo and, yeah, so I'm just, I'm keeping up. I'm putting out singles still. My latest single out is called uh, Perfect World. And I released it during this time and it actually went hand in hand with what's going on in the world. I just wish it was a perfect world. You know, wish everybody would you know, get along and, and this and that. And, you know, with all the riots and stuff we had going on, especially here, it just seemed to be, you know, pretty fitting for what was going on in the world. 
And so, like, the when you were coming up with the idea for, I guess, the, the perfect world, like, was all this already, like, in mind? or Not at all. My, my band member and I wrote it, the back lounge of our tour bus, a number of years back. It kind of just came to surface again when we were making this last album. I'm like, man, that's a great song. I want to put that on here, and I want to actually title the album it, you know, go that far. We released it as a single, and it just just happened to fit you know with what's going on in the world that that's really interesting because it's like you know some some artists i know have come out with songs like occurring when this COVID has happened or the black lives matter movement has happened like they've released songs i guess inspired by that or to inspire others but you know that's kind of a perfect combination where it's like the song was already created and it's just like the, the timing yeah. of it couldn't be better put <laughs> And music is around to spread love and joy, man, in, in hardships especially. I'm a lover of people. I'm not a hater of people. So I put out music to, to hopefully bring people together. And this song and the songs I've released prior, I think, have, have connected in that way. I hope so. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, you know, for someone like myself, and there could be others out there, like I still have Dirt Road Therapy on my, on my um, iPhone. I've still got... The yeah, old, the old ones on so and like you know i'll find myself on a random given day listening to him and i'm like i'm like okay i'm i'm proud number one that he's canadian and number two it, it he still sounds like he still got it there but like the even some songs are you you'll hear them and you think okay they're dated but like if i played say no vacancies or even dirt road therapy back to back to my niece or nephew they'll look at it and be like oh, that's really cool is that like was that released yesterday or was that really and i'd be like I kind of laugh at him because I'd be like, no, this song was released like way back and this one was released a few years ago and they'll be like, oh, well, they're both really good. And I'm like, there you go. Yeah, I think I think we hit it right on the head back then as far as keeping it timeless because a lot of the giddy up, get ready, let's get it on and don't send the invitation. It has kind of the, the feel that fits now even, I think. It's, it's timeless stuff, like you said. I really, I like that word a lot. And it's interesting because I, I kind of want to bring this up as well when you mentioned that is like, you know, because there is a difference in listening to like the old stuff compared to what's coming out today. Now, it's not like a, a knock on anyone because, listen, I love Garth Brooks as much as I like Sam Hunt. Some of it has an old country sound. Some of it has a little bit more of a co uh, country pop sound. For yeah. someone like yourself that's been around now during almost like the two different eras, do you ever find yourself conflicted to figure out like what you have to release? Yeah, it, it gets a little tricky. For me, especially, I don't want to sound like everybody else. Yeah, I want to have my own unique sound and not fall into that that realm of it. But uh, at the same time, I I want to stay true to who I am. And I, I did. I listened to that 90s music a lot and the Garths and everything. And I love that sound. And how to, how to incorporate it into now music with the pop inflections, like you're, you're saying, it can be tricky. Yeah, because like, the, the act that really comes to mind there when I think of someone that's been around from the 90s right up till now, and again, somewhat maintains in the lane, but there are definitely songs that are a little bit like, okay, I can see that you're trying to get a new generation here, and sometimes it's good, sometimes, you know, everyone has their own opinion, but the first one that comes to my mind is like Tim McGraw. Definitely. Tim, Tim has been able to... Uh evolve you know fairly fairly well and you know put out like songs like humble and kind and all that yeah it's a ballad but his music is deep and it touches and 
or like Brad Paisley, even, you know, he's from the nineties and he does that. Like when I get where I'm going and I see my all that stuff. And, you know, it, it is that that's timeless music to me as well. And, uh, I just, I love singing along to it. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was just interesting. Cause like I said, as someone like yourself, that's like, you know, been there since the, you know, early two thousands and you're seeing this change and it's like trying to maintain being true to yourself, not getting caught up and being different. It's just interesting. Like I said, just the aspect of kind of what goes through your mind. Cause like, you know, you'll see someone like, um, like a Sam Hunt that started off with writing music, then he sings it. And now you see that wave. And then you got like another act of like, I believe Hardy. And then like, when you listen to his, it's like, okay, it's still a kind of like a country sound because of his voice. But you know, you'll see a fan that will be like, oh, I love Hardy, I love this song, and you'll play him something way classic, and they'll be like, oh, I don't like that, and you're like, it's still country, it's just a different country, and then they'll, like, kind of snot, like, put up their nose to you and be like, well, I like this better, and you're like, okay, like, that's fine, but this is all country, I'm I'm a little bit concerned, like, if you don't appreciate this person, I'm I'm almost concerned for the future. <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely it hints more at a pop inflection in the newer country now for sure. And there's one fellow that actually, I, I know you teamed with when you were younger and he's another one that kind of brings to mind that I call him a little bit of a triple threat because he was around in the early, early stages of what country pop or, you know, it might've been considered rock and roll at the time too. And then of course he went off to do a TV show and now he did, I guess kind of like a rap r&b team up with um little nas but uh, billy ray cyrus billy's always reinventing himself uh i find i ran into him you know several times and say like the airport on a radio tour or whatever he's like hey man how are you he's like i have this idea. he gets talking with me he's like man i have this idea i'm working on uh and at the time it was that tv show um i'm still the king or something what is it called okay okay i i yeah, I can't he, he the was name doing a TV yeah. show, and this was prior to that TV show coming out. He's like, man, I, I had this idea. It's, it's going to be put into action, and you know, maybe, maybe if it gets up and rolling, we'll have you on the show or something. Or, so he's always, he's always inventing himself, and you know, the Hannah Montana thing, and and now this little, this uh, duet he did. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. It's just funny to me because it's like you know, it's funny when you think of the different generations and ages like for someone like myself like you know i've heard achy breaky heart a million times but it never really dawned on me who he was until like maybe years later and then i was like okay the name kind of stuck out but you didn't really reference it to anything and then i grew up watching hannah montana and i used to just think it was a dad like someone just cast their dad and then when you did the role you're like okay geez he's miley cyrus's dad cool and then you're like then you're like, wait, why? He's singing Achy Breaky Heart. You're like, oh, I remember that guy who sang that song. And then someone's like, that's the same guy. And I'm like, no, it's not. It is. And then you're like, oh, it is? So it's different generations have a different gap. Like, I know it now for him being Achy Breaky Heart and Miley's dad and Aunt Hannah Montana. You have a generation now that might only remember him as, you know, doing something with Lil Nas. And then you have a generation before me that will say, like what are you talking about you don't remember him from this this and this and i'll be like uh no <laughs> so it's it's weird to see you know someone what? like gen like you know stick around for that long and have different meaning to different people yeah and I, I sat down and talked to him 
like I said, a number of times. One time we were talking about Achy Breaky Heart and the success like that it had. It became one of those songs where it's like a lot of people, it's like either they liked it or they didn't like it. Even that, even with that said, he's like, you know what? I, that song paid so well. I'm still living off of that song. And he's like, if they don't like it, that's fine. It, it provided a life for my family and I, you know. It's it, music is powerful, man. Well, yeah, and like, and that's what I mean. Like the whole concept of it too is like when you're writing music, and I give you props for this because, like you said, you want to keep your own identity, um, try to keep up with you know where everything's evolving. But I give you props because if you're stuck around for this long, you're making memorable music. Like even with Dirt Road Therapy, you know, I can tell you the first time I've heard that when we did the interview a couple of years ago, and I put it on my iPhone. I was on the way to soccer. And it was like a miserable day out in Ottawa. And I heard the song and I was like, all right, this is going to be on repeat for the whole hour bus ride that I have to travel from soccer because it was that good. Oh, that's great, man. <laughs> but I just remember like, you know, when you have these music, uh, like even the music videos or the songs that are that well done and they can stick with you. I, I think that gives you a bit of credibility in the sense of, you know, even if it's just one fan. But if they come up to you years later at a concert and say, like, oh, yeah, I loved your concert, loved the new stuff. It's like, but yeah, like, I remember back then, th this is the exact moment I heard this song, blah, blah, blah. You got to take that and be blown away with that they remember all this from way back then as well. And definitely, it, totally. And like, like when you go to a concert from a, an artist that you grew up listening to and all that, you want to hear those songs too, you know? You don't want to hit them... You don't want to hit the audience with all brand new songs and leave out all the familiar with. But, uh, Horseshoes and No Vacancy, Big Star, all them songs are still crowd. People relate to them big time. With the song Perfect World, like, what is your, I guess, end goal with this song? Like, what do you want it to achieve? Well, you know what? We all, I think, in the back of our minds, wish for somewhat of a perfect world, but we all know that it's not a perfect world or even possible really that's kind of the message in this song uh, you know in a perfect world there'd be no bitterness no hate no jealousy in a perfect world we wouldn't need to fear for all that we hold dear we'd have no doubts of what tomorrow would bring you know that's some of the lyrics the world that we're living in today it's like we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring with this pandemic or how many more lives are going to be struck you know by it and so it's like the the song was so fitting, and I when we wrote it, we didn't realize that this was all going to happen. You know, it works in mysterious ways, that's for sure. Now, can you give us any kind of uh, updates about the album as well? Well, it's on iTunes and uh, all the digital ports that you can buy music. It has uh, eight songs. I've released six songs off of this eight-song album just because I love the songs so much. I believe in them that they're single-worthy and. So, uh, yeah, life is good. Go, go check it out. Get yourself a copy. That's going to do it for this episode of Topin Tonight. Our thanks to Adam Gregory for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TopinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, thanks for listening, and good night. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. 
My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to WhatSheSaidTalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.